If you have your Bibles with you tonight, turn with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter number 19. 1 Kings chapter number 19. We're going to pick up the reading at verse number 1. 1 Kings 19, beginning at verse number 1. It's good to see so many Bibles opening up. That's encouraging. 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning at verse number 1. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he'd slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's or my forefathers. Interesting story in the life of Elijah. This is one of those stories in the Bible that if I would have read this story prior to reading chapter 17 and 18, I would have read right through this without giving it much thought at all. But if you remember reading chapter 17 and 18, and if you haven't, I encourage you to do so after service. But if you would reread chapter 17 and 18 and read about all the wonderful things that God has done for and through Elijah, you would think, what's going on here? Why is he under this juniper tree? And yet before we get too critical and judgmental with Elijah, I'm afraid that there are far more of us here tonight that can relate with Elijah of chapter 19 a whole lot easier than we can with Elijah of chapter 17 and 18. Amen. I mean, after all, when was the last time you prayed fire down from heaven, literally? But here we see him sitting under a juniper tree, requesting that the Lord would just kill him and take him on the glory. So in essence, what it looks to me like is happening, when the Lord had answered his prayer in chapter 18 and the fire had fallen and consumed the sacrifice, but in chapter 19, for all intents and purposes, it looks like the enemy is trying to put his fire out. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but that's what the enemy's trying to do in the church world today. In the last two years especially, we've got far too many believers who are sitting under the juniper tree and the enemy's trying to put their fire out. And for some of them, he's been successful at putting that fire out. So what we wanna look at tonight is see what some of those contributing factors to a dying flame, because that's what I see here in Elijah. He's not on fire for God. He's not praying fire down from heaven. He's sending a prayer up and it just looks like the enemy has turned him into a dying flame. And so let's see what was contributing that. What did the enemy do to bring this about? Because I think there are some of us 
It will be revealing to where we might be spiritually. And it may be a word of warning so that we can see the signs ahead of time before we get there and allow the enemy to put our fire out. Let's go back to verse number one for just a moment. Because in verse number one, wicked King Ahab comes back to the palace and he's whining to Jezebel, the queen. Now, it may have been Ahab that was wearing the king's robe, but it was Jezebel that wore the pants in that family. If there was any henpecked dude, I kind of think it may have been Ahab because I want you to notice it wasn't Ahab that had the backbone to send out and put the contract out on Elijah's head. It was Jezebel that made that decree that had sent out the message. And so what we see here, and Elijah gets this message. Now Jezebel said, so let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. That's the King James Version. You're not familiar with the NHV. The NHV is the New Holly version. And so I'm going to give you the NHV tonight. The NHV simply says, you're dead meat, bud. So Elijah has put a contract out on, Jezebel has put a contract out on Elijah's head and served notice that she's going to have him executed. Would that be distressing news to you? That would be distressing news to me. And yet, if we're not careful, that's exactly what the enemy wants to do. These last two years have been filled with all kinds of distressing news, whether it's been a positive test or a negative test, whether it's been a report from the doctor, whether it's been a pink slip from the job of unemployment or on and on the list goes. It may be an unfavorable lab report or an unexpected But this last couple of years have been filled with a lot of distressing news and the enemy is using that distressing news to try to put our fire out and he's using this distressing news. And so the enemy uses the distresses of life. But I also know this. He also uses the disappointments of life. Would you agree with me? Life is filled with disappointments. Anybody here ever been disappointed? Some of you say, Brother George, I've been there, done that, wrote the book on that one. Life is filled with disappointments. You say, what disappointments are you talking about with Elijah here? I mean, after all, we read all the wonderful things in chapter 17 and 18. We see how the Lord let him drink from the brook, fed him room service with the ravens morning and evening. He even provided with a widow woman to give him, they gave the meal and the oil and that didn't cease to give until the famine was over. He had raised up a little boy who had died and and then the Lord answered the prayer and consumed the sacrifice. In chapter 18, you say, wow, how could you be disappointed? And then in chapter 18, he got victory over 850 false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of the grove. And the Lord gave him victory over every one of them. How in the world could you be sitting under a juniper tree because of disappointments? And I'm glad you asked. You're still asking good questions. You keep it up. Because see if this sounds familiar. 
It could have been that while Elijah is sitting there and he's thinking about the 850 victories that he had over the false prophets, he could have been saying something like this, but Lord, why didn't you make it 852? Because there were two scoundrels that were still left. There were two big problems that were still alive, namely Ahab and Jezebel. And even though the Lord had given him victory over 850, he'd say, Lord, why didn't you just take care of Ahab and Jezebel while you were at it? Some of you get that on the way home. What, what Elijah did not realize was God already had a plan for Ahab and Jezebel. Now, I won't take the time, but I tell you what, it will make some real interesting reading. You can see the demise that God had for Ahab in chapter 22, beginning at verse 29. And then if you were to go to 2 Kings chapter 9, beginning at verse 30, you can see the demise that God had in store for Jezebel. So just because he didn't take care of it in chapter 18 doesn't mean he was ignoring it. It doesn't mean he wasn't going to deal with it. He already had a plan in mind and we need to understand something. There are things that we've been praying about. There are things that we've been bringing to God. There are things that God has given us victory over and helped us with. The the enemy is using the few things that haven't been accomplished yet to keep us from praising him for all the wonderful things he's already done. Don't get so focused on the few things that aren't accomplished yet that you overlook the glorious things God has already done. Don't let the enemy use the disappointments of life to snuff out your flame. And so the enemy has sent this message, this distressing news. I'm going to have you killed tomorrow about this time. You can set your sundial. You can sit in the yard and watch the sundial if you want to. You watch the sun and just tomorrow about this time, you're going to be dead. That's distressing news. And the disappointments. Life is filled with disappointments. God's people are not exempt from the disappointments of life. But then there's something else I noticed, Brother Brian. It's uh, in verse number three, if you would have run into Elijah at Walmart, have you ever tried to go into Walmart when you're in a hurry? There's a lesson in futility. I'll tell you a couple of things that will happen if you're trying to go to Walmart when you're in a hurry. First of all, they won't have enough cashiers to check out the people that are wanting to check out. Secondly, when you go to the short line, it'll be the line that takes the longest. And then thirdly, when you're in a hurry, you'll run into somebody about every aisle that you know that wants to talk. Now I know with the high profile personalities you got here on the platform, I don't know how you all ever get to a restaurant or Walmart and get out of there at any good time at all. But if you would have run into Elijah in Walmart, you'd better not be in a hurry. Because 
if you're in a hurry, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be a snob or anything like that. And so when you run into people in the aisle, you don't really want to engage in a long conversation. You know what I mean? But you don't want to ignore them. So you'll kind of make eye contact and say, how you doing? How you doing? Anybody besides me, when you do that, you want the short answer? How you doing? Okay, thanks. If you're in a hurry. But when you're in a hurry, you won't get the short answer. You run into somebody, you say, how you doing? They'll just look at the opportunity to unload. And if you would have run into Elijah in Walmart, you better not ask him how you doing because he would have unloaded on you. Because sitting under that juniper tree, he is whining and complaining to God. And if anybody else would have wandered around there, he would have whined and complained to them. But not once, not twice, but three times in the scripture. Chapter 18, verse 22, chapter 19, verse 10, chapter 19, verse 14. If you would have asked Elijah, how you doing, Elijah? Here's what he would have said. I've been very jealous for the Lord. The children of Israel have, they've thrown down his, they've thrown down his altars. They've broken his covenant. They've killed all the prophets with the sword. And I, I'm the only one left. Bless his little heart. I'm the only one left. In essence, I'm the only one around here doing anything. Aren't you glad that's never said in the church anymore? But anyway, that's all we were saying. I've been, I've been doing all this for the Lord. The people of Israel, they've thrown down his altars. They've broken his covenant and they've killed all the prophets with the sword. Oh, woe is me. I'm the only one left. So he goes on this spiel of being the only one left. And I'm thinking, Really? If I would have come across Elijah under that juniper tree and he would have told me that, I would have said, what do you mean you're all alone? What happened to that little servant fellow back there that you left? Did you remember what verse three said? And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Don't you suppose that little servant fellow would have gone in the wilderness with him? Watch my head, this is the right answer. Don't you suppose he'd have sat under that juniper tree with him? Don't you suppose he'd have helped him with whatever he needed? But oh no, you stay here. I'll go over here and then I'll whine that I'm only one left. What's going on here? Here's the third thing that's happening. And believe you me, this is one of the big things, the problems that's been in the church these last two years. And it's what I call detachment. If these last two years have taught us anything, we realize how important it is to be here like this. 
We were not intended to make this journey by ourselves. We're in this thing together. And the enemy has caused detachment. We've been detached from the church. We've been detached from one another. The the, the social distancing thing, the whole stay at home thing, the whole watch it on live stream thing. And the enemy is pulling the logs from the fire. I've been to enough bonfires. And by the way, you know what I was going to be when I grew up? And if I ever grow up, I might be that yet. But I was going to be a forest ranger. I was a card-carrying member of the Smoky Bear Forest Ranger Club. In my, in my little plastic wallet, I had that badge that they sent me, and I had that little card, and I was a card-carrying member of Smoky Bear Forest Ranger. Well, I guess about the same. I was a preacher, so either way, you're putting out fires, brother, aren't you? So, but I remember what Smokey said, only you could prevent forest fires. They changed it now to wildfires, but he said, you know, don't leave a campfire unattended. Either douse it with water or smother it with dirt. Or, but I found out, Brother Brian, there's another way to put out a bonfire. If you don't want to stick around and wait for that bonfire to die down, you just start pulling out the individual logs. And when you pull out the individual logs, not only will the bonfire die down, but those logs will go out as well. That's what's happened in the church world in these last two years. The bonfires that we had going some time back have died down because the individual logs have been pulled apart. We need to be together. No wonder the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And get this, so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of the Lord. In these last days, we need to be getting together more often, not less often. Prior to COVID, I was averaging about 280 to 300 services a year in preaching. And people ask me, Brother George, what do you do when you're not in a revival or a camp meeting? I go to church. If there's a revival going on, I attend. Why? Because I got to take in. I got to take in. And I need one another. We need one another. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, the apostle Paul told those Corinthian believers, he gives this analogy. He says, the church is the body of Christ. Some of us will be ear, some of us an eye, some a hand, some a foot. I met a few that were all mouth. Not the ones you're thinking of, but other ones. I even met a few that thought they were the head. Listen to me. If you think you're the head, consider yourself decapitated because Christ is the head. Amen. And so, so when we see that, what we need to understand is that there are some who use this excuse in this analogy of the human body to say, well, brother George, I am not a spiritual heart or spiritual liver or spiritual kidney or spiritual lung. I'm more like some vestigial organ, like a wisdom tooth or an appendix or, or, or a tonsil or a gallbladder. They can get by without me. Now, I don't have a clue 
what kind of surgeries you all have had. And I don't have a clue how many missing body parts, internal organs, some of you have missing. And I'm not going to ask. Because that's when you get into the long stories. But it looks to me like you're doing pretty good without them. I'm glad I still got all my parts. Some of them ain't working as good as they used to, but... But what we need to understand is whether you think you're an important body part to the body of Christ or not, you're needed. And if you think the church can get by without you, you're right. I'm sorry. You're right, but you can't get by without the church. Because I want you to notice something. It's amazing to me how much trauma the human body can go through and still survive. But we've discovered the smallest little germ, the smallest little virus can take it out as well. And we think about those who are wounded warriors. And I thank God for our service personnel and the price that many of them have paid. And they've come back from the battlefield, the maimed for life and missing limbs. And, and you see those commercials of the deformity of what they went through in the horrors of war. And yet they survived that. The human body, the human body can get by with a lot of body parts. But there's not one body part that can survive apart from the body. Some of, some of you didn't get that. The body can survive and get by without a lot of body parts, but not one body part can survive apart from the body. Even when they do organ transplant, they're on a clock because they only got so many hours till that organ is still viable to be transplanted. It has to be in a human body. And we were not intended to make this journey alone. We need to be connected to the body. Regardless of how important a part you think you are, you're needed. And it, you need it if you're going to survive. I'm sure that there have been times when you have left a service. And maybe you didn't say, but maybe you thought. Boy, it sure seemed like we limped along in the service tonight. Or it seemed like we were handicapped for some reason. Listen to me. That's what happens when the body has that many missing body parts. We are handicapped. And there's a lot of our churches that are handicapped because so many missing body parts are not in the service and connected to the body. And Elijah has detached himself from the very source, from the very one that would have kept him company, that would have encouraged him, that would have supported him and helped him along. You stay here. I'll go by myself. God did not intend for us to go this journey by ourselves. Amen. 
So we see the distressing news the enemy is using. We see the disappointments. He focuses on the few things that haven't been accomplished and overlooks all the wonderful things that God has already done. And now, if it wasn't bad enough, he detaches himself from the very one that would have supported him and helped him along the way. So now he's sitting under this juniper tree. I'm at verse four now. In verse number four, here he is calling out to God. Oh God, it's enough. Take my life for I'm not better than my forefathers. Do you realize what he's saying to God? I want to die. I want to die. Good thing I'm not God. Don't look at me like that. I'm real glad you're not God. But if I would have been the Lord and I heard Elijah saying that, I would have, yo, Elijah, Get up and pay Jezebel a visit. Some of you ain't got that yet. In verse number three, it said, and when he saw that, he arose and did what? He went for his life. You know why he ran for his life? Because he didn't want to die. And she already let him know, I'm going to kill you. So now he's sitting under the juniper tree saying, I want to die. Well, go see Jezebel. I don't see him looking her up. What's going on? I'll tell you what's the problem. Elijah hadn't lost his mind. Elijah was struggling with the same thing that there's some folks, maybe even here, struggle with from time to time. Discouragement discouragement. You know what I've noticed when God's people get discouraged? A lot of times they say things they don't really mean and they do things they wouldn't normally do. And it seems like they just, you know, one moment they're on the mountaintop, the next moment seems like the mountains on them, the way they hear it, the way they say it. I remember before I went on the road full time 20 years ago as an evangelist, I pastored my home church for over 17 years. And just like your church, we had several folks that were shut in. And that some of them were at home, some of them were in the nursing home. And I would go visit with them. There was an extension of our ministry. Many of the folks in the nursing home had no one. And and I ended up kind of being their surrogate pastor. But I would go visit some. And in the home, one in particular, had this precious saint of God. She was in her mid-90s. She'd outlived her husband. She'd outlived three of her children, outlived most of her friends. And she was still able to stay there at home, but she was most of the time was not able to come to church. And I would visit her and I would go through the entrance that would take me through a kitchen. She'd try to feed me. And when I was done eating, we'd go in the living room. Some of you caught that. We'd go in the living room and sit down. It wouldn't be long, we'd start a conversation. She'd get teary-eyed. Brother George, I don't know why the Lord leaves me here. I don't feel like I'm any use to the church. Feel like I'm any good to the Lord. I miss my husband and on. I just, why don't he, I just wish he'd take me on the glory. You understand that? So before I'd leave, I'd pray for her. Lord, I pray that 
Let her know that she's an encouragement to me. She's a prayer warrior for the church. You apparently still have something for her to do. You've left her here for a reason. Help her to see that. And and I would leave. So next time I would go back, I'd go through the entrance that would take me through the kitchen. She'd try to feed me. And when I was done eating, we'd go in the living room. And we'd sit down. And it wouldn't be long. She'd get teary-eyed. I thought, I know where this conversation's going. Why don't he take me to heaven? I miss my husband, miss my friends. Don't feel like I can eat. No, no, not this time, Brother Brian. This time, she said, Brother George, I need you to pray for me. He said, I hurt here, and I hurt here, and I hurt here, and I feel so bad, I feel like I'm about to die. Would you pray for me? <laughs> now, I didn't let her know. But quietly in my prayer, Brother Cal, I'm saying, Lord, I'm confused because I don't know how to pray right now. Because the last time she wanted me to pray that you'd take her unto glory. And this time it looks like she's about to go and she wants me to pray that you would touch her. Some of you ain't got that yet. I'm confused. I don't know how to pray. So I said, Lord, I just leave her in your hands. What's going on? This dear sister was not suffering from dementia. Her mind was really pretty good. The problem was she's discouraged. She's discouraged. One time I'm there, she's wanting one thing. The next time I'm there, she's wanting something entirely different. One moment, Elijah is running for his life. The next moment he's saying, oh God, it's enough. Just take my life. I'd say, make up your mind, boy. Discouragement. You know, the problem is with discouragement, it is so prevalent among our ranks and it seemed to be such a normal part of Christian life that we don't even see it as an enemy, as a tool of the enemy. I said we don't see it as a tool of the enemy. Some of us just need to learn not to camp out there all the time. I, I kind of like that song and perspective. Some of you are familiar with Mark Bishop, but I like that one song that he sings. He says, I'm not in the valley. I'm just changing mountains. Some of us would realize the valley wouldn't be nearly as long if we just make a right hand or, or left hand turn and so we can scale back the mountain. Some of us, when it comes to Winnie the Pooh characters, one moment we're like Tigger bouncing off our tail, the next moment we're like Eeyore with our, with our lip dragging the ground. Oh, bother. <laughs> discouragement. And the enemy will use discouragement to put our fire out. Let me go on. I want you to look with me now between verse four and verse five. Let me know when you found it. The story that reads between verse four and verse five. Have you found it yet? You said, Brother George, there ain't no story recorded between verse four and verse five. No, I'm about to tell you what it is. Would you agree with me that the Lord was aware of where Elijah was? Would you agree with me the Lord was aware of what Elijah was saying? 
Oh, it's amazing to me. If I would have been the Lord in this situation, I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have come down from glory. I'd have pulled me a switch off that juniper tree and I'd have tanned his hide all the way back to Mount Carmel. I'd have, get up out of there, boy. What are you doing here? Because I would have thought he needed discipline. And by the way, there are times that our loving Heavenly Father knows that the best thing for us is discipline. They may not believe it in the school, believe in it in the school system, and they may not believe in it in many homes anymore. But our Heavenly Father still believes in old-fashioned whipping. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Can I translate that for you? The words chasteneth and scourgeth do not mean time out. Now, there may be times when the Lord will put us in timeout. I think there was, there was a 40-year timeout they had, in, or 70-year rather, 70-year timeout they had in Babylon, but it also had a whooping along with it. But there'll be times he'll just take us to the woodshed and give us an old-fashioned whooping. You say, Brother George, is not whooping, it's whipping. No, when you get one like that, it's a whooping. Sometimes he loves us just enough to chasten and scourge us. And I'm not discounting the fact that no one here needs a spiritual whooping or needs spiritual discipline. But I would have got it wrong with Elijah. God knew that Elijah did not need discipline. There is a scene that is unfolding in glory that's not recorded, but must have happened. It's like the Lord says, angel, come here. And an angel came at his beck and call. You see my prophet down there under that juniper tree? Yes, Lord. You hear what he's saying? Yes, Lord. You want me to go down and whoop him for you? No, I don't want you whooping. What do you want me to do, Lord? I want you to go down there and bake him a cake. And while Elijah, it, I didn't make that part up. Verse number five, while Elijah is asleep under that juniper tree, an angel has been dispatched from glory. And the next thing we know, he has built a coal of fire and there's a bed of coals that he bakes a cake and there's a, a glass of water there at Elijah's head. He wakes up Elijah and says, arise and eat. And Elijah woke up, he ate the cake, he drank the glass of water, and did like a lot of us fellas. He took another nap. <laughs> now the angel's probably, you want me to whoop him now, Lord? No, I don't want you to whoop him. I want you to bake him a second cake. So while Elijah's asleep, the angel baked a second cake and said, arise and eat, for the journey is too great for thee. And Elijah ate that and went in the strength of that another 40 days and 40 nights. I know some of you are dying to ask, Brother George, wonder what kind of cake that was. It's angel food. You don't think it's devil's food, do you? Anyway, so he bakes him a cake twice. And he went in the strength of that. Why? Why did the Lord have him a cake bake rather than discipline him? I'll tell you why. 
Because Elijah didn't need discipline. Elijah was depleted. Elijah was going and going and going and doing and doing and doing and giving and giving and giving. And he was given out. And God used this opportunity to feed his depleted soul. Going back to what I was saying earlier. People ask me what I do when I'm not on the road. I go to church. I had a little gap of time this week. I was privileged to be at the spring jubilee for the very first time on Thursday night. My, what a glorious time. That recharged my batteries. Those of you who are workers in the church, I don't care how big or how small your job seems. You have got to take in more than you give out. If you're a children's worker, if you're a youth worker, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a preacher, you have to take in more than you give out because if you don't, you got nothing left in the tank for yourself. And the enemy will use that. You have to have fuel to keep the fire going. Depleted. And it could be that this service tonight is not about me coming and allowing the Lord to give you a spiritual whooping. It may be that somebody just needs to come to the table and scoot up and eat some fresh cake the Lord's baked for you. So you can go in the strength of that in the days ahead. Don't be a dying flame. Don't let the enemy put your fire out. Folks, let's pull the logs together. Let's pray, Lord, fan the flame. Stoke the fire in my soul. Feed my hungry soul. I want you to know he wants to do that. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the illustration that we see in the life of Elijah. It is hard for most of us to relate to the Elijah of chapter 17 and 18. But Lord, when we get to chapter 19, we realize how human Elijah was. And it's so much easier for us to relate to him under that juniper tree. And Lord, these last couple of years, especially, the enemies tried to use the events of this to put the fire out of the church. Detachment distressing news, disappointments in life, discouragement. Oh, Lord, and there's those who are depleted. Lord, I pray that tonight would be the night, even as we heard earlier, may the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob pass by this way. Lord, there are those who just need some fresh cake to eat, to go in strength for the journey. Lord, may they come freely to your table tonight. Fill their soul. May the cry of their heart be, fill me now. Fill me now. Jesus, come and fill me now. Lord, may we get our eyes off the things of the world and the problems of the world and focus on you. Turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in your wonderful face. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. 